Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening on Dying Light listeners. This is your host, Pastor Alex, and we are back at it once again with another episode in our Sacrament series. Again, we are just constantly trekking through and working on uh, hammering out these uh, various doctrines that just seem to often uh, confuse and uh drive us to the wall because we just can't figure out is group a right or group B right. So, you know, we wanted to take this opportunity to explain the Lutheran theology. Uh, and, and again, I'm not, you know, a a professor in theology. Uh, I'm merely a seminary student. I'm a pastor. Um, and, and I have a deep passion and conviction for the Lutheran faith. And so my, my goal is to expound it in, in the best manner that I can for you and demonstrate it and teach it in the best manner that I can for you. And uh, I, I would venture to say that I you know, may not get all the fine points in some of the topics, but I will do my, my best at, at working through and hammering out uh, exactly what it is we believe and hold to. So... Uh, we have been working uh, so far through this series on the sacraments, mainly focusing on baptism. We really just jumped right off at the beginning uh, with week one, looking at the concept of uh, sacrament versus ordinance. And then we went into expound some scripture, and then we looked at some early church fathers, and then we looked at uh, some of the articles in the Augsburg Confession, the Book of Concord, and now we're going to look at the large uh, catechism of Luther. And, uh, we're going to read through some of these statements today. And I think that's going to be our episode is we're just going to examine some of these and, and talk about them. And, and then we will, um, kind of see where we land and where we think we should go, uh, with any further episodes on baptism. Uh, because I think we've, we've hammered a lot of the points and maybe we'll do a summary episode uh, after this that would give us, you know, seven weeks in baptism. And then we'll turn and do uh, a few weeks on uh, the Lord's supper that I haven't even begun to map out yet. So I can't tell you how many uh, weeks we will spend in that episode or in that little series. 
But we will make sure, as always, to cover the topic ex- as extensively as we can on the show in hopes that we really demonstrate uh, the fullness and truth of Scripture. So we want to, again, obviously always assert that this is an extensive dive. This is just a merely a, kind of a regurgitation and an explanation of what it is uh, the Lutheran confessions are confessing and we want to really assert uh, some of the major uh, pieces to that and we want to work through those the big fruit that we can hit and then you know kind of carry on down and 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 unpack a lot of things but uh, you know I, I I always venture to say with every show we do this is not an extensive guide you know through baptism uh, we will generalize a lot of things and uh, and and explain some stuff, but there's a lot of things that you know you would have to read a lot of Luther's writings and uh, you know other uh, Lutheran theologians who have come since that you know continue to expound and explain the position of baptism. Uh, one such is Gerhard Ferdy. Uh, he was my professor's professor. Uh, at seminary, and he again is a profound Lutheran theologian. Uh, there's a lot of people out there in the Lutheran circles that probably would uh, disagree with him, kind of on his radical s- stance on some aspects, uh, more or less his uh, radical view of justification. But you know, I think he holds some really good fundamental pieces when it comes to the sacraments. So I really do respect his work, and I like that. You know, the books that he's contributed, if you want to grab one, it's called Where God Meets Man. Uh, it's about, I don't know, a little over 100 pages of that. It's very short, very easy to read. Uh, but it will really uh, kind of, you know, light light you up in terms of the Lutheran theology. So we said last week we were going to work through uh, Luther's large catechism. This will be the only snippet that we take out of this, cate- uh, out of this catechism. Um, the... Uh, it, it is essentially a mirror of the small catechism. And the reason it's called large and small is because large has more commentary, more explaining, and it works through the doctrine and the topic much deeper than the small articles do or the small um, catechism does. The small catechism is wonderful for students uh, and children, and uh, it's a basic introduction to the Lutheran faith. Uh, and it hammers on the three big things that Lutherans believe, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's, uh, the Lord's Prayer, and the Apostles' Creed. And then it goes into uh, the sacraments. So it's the you know Lord's Supper and uh, baptism. So I'd, I'd venture to say four major things. I think a lot of people like to focus more on the first three than they do the sacraments because, again, uh, it's a low view of the sacraments, in my opinion, that many uh, in the Protestant circles hold to today. So, without further ado, let's dig into uh, the large uh, catechism. This is part four on baptism. Uh, we will probably not get through all uh, eighty some of these statements, but we will hammer some of them, uh, and we will talk about uh, infant baptism as well. I think once we reach this, then we'll do you know, and when we kind of reach the end of the road, we'll hit our summary, and we'll kind of tie all of these pieces together. What it is that Lutherans truly hold to. How do we view uh, the sacraments of uh, baptism? And then we'll do a summary for the Lord's Supper. 
And again, I think if you've listened to this series thus far, you should be able to pick up uh, quite a few things. One, that we believe that infants should be baptized. That's a big key uh, element for the Lutheran faith. Uh, Two, we believe that salvation is given through the spoken word uh, and water. When it's water's mixed with God's word, it becomes a sacrament, and we believe faith is administered in that. And therefore, as uh, St. Peter would uh, quote and give us the statements that it is through baptism which now saves us. So uh, baptism is one means by which God comes to us. It's not the only means, but it is by it is one means by which he comes to us. So let's dig into uh, the large catechism and see where we uh, land for the day. We have now finished with the three chief parts of our common Christian teaching. It remains for us to speak of our two sacraments instituted by Christ Every Christian ought to have at least some brief elementary instruction in them before, uh, with them because without these, no one can be a Christian. Although, unfortunately, in the past, nothing was taught about them. Remember, this is Luther writing in the uh, early 15, well, maybe mid-1520s, I think, is when he wrote the large catechism. Let me see if I can get you a date, actually, now. Uh, later, yeah, so late 1520s is when he wrote it, and then there's some later editions um, in the mid 1530s. So, you know, that's again, this kind of correlate goes alongside and correlates with the time period of, um, the, you know, writing of the book of Concord, the construction of the book of Concord and other works that Luther is working on. So, uh, let's get into statement two. First, we shall take a baptism and though, which we were first received into the Christian community in order that we may be readily understood. We shall treat it in a systematic way and confine ourselves to that, which is necessary for us to know. How is it to be maintained, defended against heretics and the secretarians? We shall have uh, leave to the learned in the first place. We must be, or we must above all be familiar with the words upon which baptism is founded and to which everything is related that is to be said on the subject, namely where the, our Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew twenty nineteen, he says, go into all the world and teach all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, in Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Observe first that these, first, that these words contain God's commandment and ordinance. You should not doubt then that baptism is of divine origin not something devised or invented by man as truly as i can say that the ten commandments the creed and the lord's prayer are not spun out of man's imagination but revealed and given by god himself so i can boast that baptism is no human plain plaything and is instituted by god himself Moreover, it is solemnly and strictly commanded that we must must be baptized or we shall not be saved. We are not to regard it as an indifferent matter than like putting on a new red coat. It is of the greatest importance that we regard baptism as excellent, glorious, and exalted. It is the chief cause of our contentions and battles because the world now is full of sects who proclaim that baptism is an external thing and that external things are of no use. But no matter how... External it may be, here stand God's word and command, which have been instituted, established, and confirmed in baptism. What God instituted and commands cannot be useless. It is the most precious thing, even though all appearances, 
it may be not worth a straw. If people used to consider the great thing uh, when the Pope dispensed indulgences with his letters and bulls and consecrated altars and churches solely by virtue of his letters and seals, then we ought to regard baptism as much greater and more precious because God has commanded it. What is more, it is performed in his name. So the words read, go baptize, not in your name, but in God's name. To be baptized in God's name is to be baptized not by man, but by God himself. Although it is performed by man's hands, it is not. It is nevertheless truly God's own act. From this fact, everyone can easily conclude that it is of greater value than the work of any man or saint. For what work can man do that is greater than God's work? Here the devil sets to work to, bind, to blind us with the false appearances and lead us away from God's work to our own. It makes a much more splendid appearance when a Carthesian does many great and different works and and we all attach greater importance to our own achievements and merits. But the scriptures teach that if we pile together all the works of all the monks, no matter how precious and dazzling they might appear, they would not be as noble and good as if God were to pick up a straw. Why? Because the person performing the act is is nobler and better. Here, we must evaluate not the person according to the works, but the works according to the person for whom they must derive their worth. But mad reason rushes forth, and because baptism is not dazzling like the works which we do, regardless, uh, regards it as worthless. Now you can understand how to answer the question properly. What is baptism? It is not merely common water but water comprehended in God's word and commanded and sanctified by them. It is nothing else than a divine water, not that the water in itself is nobler than the other water, but that God's word and commandment are added to it. Therefore, it is sheer wickedness and devilish blasphemy when our new spirits, in order to slander baptism, ignore God's word and ordinance, consider nothing but the water drawn from the well, and then babble, how can a handful of water help the soul? Of course, my friend, who does not know that water is water? And such separation is proper. But how dare you tamper thus with God's ordinance and tear from it the precious jeweled clasp in which God has fastened and enclosed it from which he does not wish his ordinance to be separated? For the nucleus in the water is God's word or commandment in God's name. And thus is a treasure greater and more nobler than heaven and earth. Notice the distinction here. Then baptism is a very different thing than all other water, not by the virtue of the natural substance, but because there is something nobler is added. God himself stakes his honor, his power, and his might on it. Therefore, it is not simply a natural water, but divine, heavenly, holy, and blessed water. Praise it with the other names you can, all by the virtues of the word, which is a heavenly, holy word, which no one can sufficiently extol, for it contains and conveys all the fullness of God. So we have Luther opening up pretty strong right out of the gates, as usual, and he is demonstrating to us exactly what baptism is. It is not just merely water, but it is water that has God's word added to it. 
That is what makes it divine and holy water. And, and, it, and it's God's work. It is not man's. It is not something that we do out of obedience. It's not something that we do uh, just because. But it is ordered by God that all Christians should be baptized. That doesn't mean that if you die unbaptized and you are a believer in Christ that you won't be saved. What it means is if you have the opportunity, then you should and ought to be baptized. This is why it is crucial or critical or important however you want to staple it, that infants who are born into a Christian family are baptized. Because as Paul notes, that we believe in one baptism. So if we assert that an infant is baptized and, the God, and God's word is paired with the water and the baptism is actual legitimate baptism, we might actually do an episode on like our small piece on illegitimate and legitimate baptisms because that seems to be an interesting conversation. So we might, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, parking lot that idea for an episode here, uh, before we do our summary on baptism. Cause I think that might be pretty instrumental to help, uh, understand maybe some misconceptions and stuff like that. We'll dig into that. It'd be interesting. So, um, but as long as the water and God's word are paired, then the baptism is, uh, is efficient. Because it's merely not a work. Again, here, uh, Luther would argue in his Freedom of a Christian that it is not the wickedness of the of the priest that dis- can disrupt God's word because God will work through that wicked man. The problem with, you know, the, the Protestant view, I guess I could say this, the, the problem really boils down to people think um, the their baptism is invalid because the preacher either apostatized or um, maybe they were, you know, found out to be in a big scandal or something juicy, whatever it may be. They would then say, well, i got to get rebaptized because now, you know, I, I, that's not a valid baptism. Well, it very well could be a valid baptism if the word of God is paired with the water. doesn't matter whether you sprinkle or, or immersed. Uh, it's a whole other topic for, I don't know, I probably won't even cover it on this series because, frankly, it's not of importance. Um, because as long as the water water is pushed or, you know, touches you with God's word being spoken through it, then it is a valid baptism. Uh, so they would think that the their baptism is invalid and they need to go actually get baptized by another preacher. But the problem is, is every preacher is a sinner. We are all... Uh, uh, we all come short of the glory of God. And so we would all then, you know, never have a valid baptism if we have that mindset. This is why we assert baptism as being a sacrament and a working of God, not a working of man. Let us continue working through some of these statements. Our know-it-alls, the new spirits assert that faith alone saves and the works of external things contribute nothing to this. And we answer it is true. Nothing that is in us does it but faith, and we shall hear later on. But these leaders of the blind are unwilling to see that faith must have something to believe, something in which it may cling and upon which it may stand. Thus, faith clings to the water and believes it to be baptism in which there is a sheer salvation in life. Not through the water we have sufficiently stated, but through its in cooperation with God's word and ordinance and the joining of his name to it. When I believe this, what else is it but believing in God, 
as the one who has implanted his word in his in this external ordinance and offered it to us that we may grasp the treasure it contains. Now these people are so foolish as to separate faith from the object of which faith is attached and bound on the ground that the object is something external. Yes, it must be external so that it can be perceived and grasped by the senses and thus brought into the heart, just as the entire gospel is an external oral proclamation. In short, wherever God affects in us, he does through such external ordinances. No matter whether he speaks, indeed, no matter what purposes or by means he speaks, their faith must be, faith must look and it must, and to it faith must hold. If we have these words, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, to what do they refer to but baptism? That is the water comprehended in God's ordinance. Hence it follows that whoever rejects baptism rejects God's word, faith, and Christ who directs us to and blind, uh, binds us in baptism. In the third place, having learned the great benefit and the power of baptism, let us observe further how uh, further who receives these gifts and benefits of baptism. This again is uh, most beautifully and clearly expressed in these words. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. That is, faith alone makes the person worthy to receive the salutary divine water profitably. Since these blessings are offered and promised in the words which accompany the water, they cannot be received unless we believe them wholeheartedly. Without faith, baptism is of no use, although it in itself is an infinite divine treasure. So the single expression, he who believes, is so potent that it excludes and rejects all works that we may do with the intention of meriting salvation through them. For it is certain that what whatever it is certain that whatever is not faith contributes nothing toward salvation and receives nothing. However, however, it is often objected if baptism is itself a work, you may say that the works are of no use for salvation, but becomes a become but what becomes of faith? To this you may answer, yes, it is true that our works are of no use to salvation. Baptism, however, is not our work, but God's. For as he said, you must distinguish Christ's baptism clearly by the bathkeeper's baptism. God's works, however, are salutary and necessary for salvation. They do not exclude, but rather demand faith, for which faith cannot be grasped. Just as allowing the water to be poured over you, you do not receive baptism in such a manner uh, that it does you any good, but it becomes beneficial to you if you accept it as God's command and ordinance so that baptized in the name of God, you may receive in the water the promised salvation. Thus, the hand cannot do, nor the body, but the heart must believe it. Let's jump down here to uh, the last few statements, and then we're going to get into some infant baptism, some juicy material for you. Uh, in baptism, therefore, every Christian has enough to study and practice all of his life. He always has enough to do to believe firmly that baptism promises and brings victory over death and the devil, forgiveness of sins, God's grace, the entire Christ, and the Holy Spirit with his gifts. In short, the blessings of baptism are so boundless that if a timid nature considers them, it may well, bound, it may well doubt whether they could at all be true. 
Suppose there was a physician who had such a skill that people would not die, or even if they did die, would afterward live forever. Just think how the world would snow and rain money upon him. Because of the pressing crowd of rich men, no one else could get near him. Now here in baptism, there is brought free to every man's door such a priceless medicine, which swallows up death and saves the lives of all men. To appreciate and use baptism all right, we must draw strength and confront and comfort from it when our sins or conscience oppress us. And we must retort, but I am baptized. And if I am baptized, I have the promise that I shall be saved and have eternal life, both in soul and body. Let this suffice concerning the nature, benefits, and use of baptism as answering the present purpose. Again, there's 46 statements here, and he does another 40-some statements on infant baptism uh, to highlight and, and go through it. So we won't go through all of these on the infant baptism, but we will uh, demonstrate a few things here. Uh, here we come to a question by which the devil confuses the world through the through his sex. The question of infant baptism. Do children also believe, and is it right to bapti- baptize them? To this we surely reply, let us let the simple dismiss this question from the minds and refer to the learned. But if you wish to answer, then say this, that the baptism of infants is pleasing to Christ is sufficiently proved from his own work. God has sanctified many who have been thus baptized and have given them the Holy Spirit. Even today there are a few whose doctrine and life attest that they would have the Holy Spirit. Similarly, By God's grace, we have been given the power to interpret the scriptures and know Christ, which is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Now, it would, uh, now if God did not accept baptism of infants, he could not have given any of them the Holy Spirit nor any part of him. In short, all this time down to the present day, no man on earth could have been a Christian. Since God has confirmed baptism through the gift of his Holy Spirit, as we have perceived in some of the fathers, such as St. Bernard, uh, Garrison, John Huss, and others, and since the Holy Christian Church would abide until the end of the world, our adversaries must acknowledge that infant baptism is pleasing to God. For he can never be in conflict with himself, support lies and wickedness, or give his grace and spirit for such ends. This is the best and strongest proof for the simple and unlearned for no one can take from us or overthrow this article. I believe one, I believe one Holy Catholic church, the communion of saints, etc. Further, we are not primarily concerned whether the baptized person believes or not for the latter case. Baptism does not become invalid. Interesting notion there. We'll dig into that a little bit more as well. Uh, Everything depends on the word and the commandment of God. This perhaps is a rather subtle point, but it is based upon what I have already said. The baptism is simply water, the bat, that baptism is simply water and God's word in it and with each other. That is the word accompanies the water. Baptism is valid, even though faith be lacking for my faith does not constitute baptism, but receives it. Baptism does not become invalid, even if it is wrongly received or used. For it is bound not to our faith, but to the word. Even though a Jew should today become deceitfully uh, with its evil purpose and we baptize him in a good faith, we should have to admit that his baptism was valid. Uh, 
for there would be water together with God's word, even though he failed to receive it properly. Similarly, the, those who partake unworthily of the Lord's Supper receive the true sacrament, even though they do not believe. There's a distinction we need to make here. That even when they do not believe in that, the, the, the baptism is not invalid. The work is still valid. As long as the baptism is paired water and God's word, same the same example of the Lord's Supper, bread, wine, and God's word, when those are paired together, it has it, it does not matter about the person that is it being administered to. For instance, if I'm in a, a regular church Sunday, so yesterday we had communion in our church, and uh, I, I gave communion to probably 50, 45, 50 members in my church, if one of those people in that church may not be a believer, but they just happen to come and because they enjoy the service, which I don't believe that. I believe all the people in my church are believers. But I'm just using this as an example. If one person happens to come off the street and then uh, partakes in communion, that does not make the communion invalid. It does not disrupt the function and flow that God has orchestrated. What it merely demonstrates, at least in communion, is that he is drinking and eating to his own condemnation. Uh, with baptism, there's not, it, it, with it not being an act that a man essentially takes on. If one just doesn't believe, then faith isn't, faith isn't present, belief isn't present. Salvation, therefore, would not be valid. Now, some would argue in some, you know, specific circles of the Lutheran faith, and and I don't know if I'm quite convinced of it yet, but they would argue that baptism in itself, um, essentially removes the work of man, which is what we've talked about. And I believe that, but that in baptism, there's hope for salvation. Even if that person ever demonstrated a belief in Christ, I don't know if I can fully conform to that belief yet. I believe that with baptism, I can, you know, for instance, I I could do a funeral and and I'll use this as an example. Hopefully that clarify this point. Uh, I had a funeral last week and uh, I did not know the lady uh, who had passed. It was uh, her brother's a member of my church. She was 91. She lived in Arizona. Uh, she was baptized and confirmed in my church years ago, but has since moved away and been gone for, I think, 60-some years. So she was 91, passed away. She might have even gone longer than that, 70 years maybe. And uh, so I didn't know her. I didn't know anything about her, you know, other than what I've talked to her family about. And so all I could rely on is the fact that she was baptized. Because going to church isn't a proper demonstration of your belief. I mean, it's a proper demonstration, don't get me wrong. But it's not that going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church it gives you the faith, right? You get to partake in fellowship and the, the sacraments, and you are given faith in, in that. And so church is a great and, and well-designed thing for the Christian to do. But Going to church doesn't make one a Christian. Just you know, the act of just going to church doesn't make a person a Christian. It's the proclamation that comes from the mouth of that person who goes to church. And so, you know, I, I can't tell you whether this uh, lady had, um, you know, uh, attended church through her whole life, or if she went, you know, a few times a year or whatever. But I can firmly rest in the hands of God. Uh, and and trust that what he says is true. And I turned my sermon to essentially be that you know in this uh, baptism is you know the the focal point, and that's where we will rest in. 
And essentially I can say, you know, even in the case of like, if we have a person who, let's say a baby's baptized and then they, uh, live their whole life as a professing non-believer, uh, and then they die, we can just turn and say, Lord, have mercy on their soul. Because here's the thing. And, and I think some Christians get little, little angry about this and I'm going to, I'm going to drive this point home. And this is, this is kind of really helped me become a little bit more comfortable in my Lutheran faith. Um, the concept of uh, belief is w- long beyond our understanding once we die. We don't know uh, how God will handle judgment. What we can do is turn over and say, Lord, have mercy on this person, a sinner, because he was unfair to us by giving us salvation and faith. He can be unfair to this person and give them salvation. It, you know, but I would I would be much more opposed to that particular view if the person hadn't been baptized because then there is absolutely no way they were you know uh, welcomed into the family of the church of Christians and to the body of Christ through baptism uh, there was no you know means if there's no means demonstrated that they went to church their whole life and and uh, you know believed in Christ if they just merely lived their life and then died and then wanted a, a, a burial by a priest in a church, you know, all I can do is say, God, you you know, you use death as a means to call your people back to you. It is a call to repentance. It is a call to acknowledge that we are dust and to dust we will return. And so we can rely on that instance to point us to Lord, have mercy on this person. Uh, but when we administer the sacraments to somebody, it it, it's not about the person receiving it, nor about the preacher giving it. It is relying solely that the word of God will do exactly what it says. So we didn't get through all the infant baptism stuff. There's a lot here. Um, but let's, let's you know, piggyback next week uh, on, on this a little bit more. And we will, uh, again, maybe move on to another, you know, sublet type topic and we'll uh, continue our journey there. So uh, that's going to wrap today's episode. Thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for listening. We'll be back Friday with our next episode because I, I'm way ahead of the curb and recording this. I don't know where we'll be on our Friday episodes, but we're still working through the least of these. So we'll probably be in some minor profit. Um, and, uh, and I hope you guys are enjoying that series as well. Please, if you liked the show, share it with your family and friends, your church, and leave us a review on iTunes uh, and any other platform that you may listen to uh, us. Please subscribe uh, so that you get up-to-date alerts. Hit me up on Instagram on Undying Light Ministries' Instagram page, and you can follow and get all up-to-date show releases there as well. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Until next week, God bless. We'll see you later.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.